But I'm excited for uh, week two here of the Greatest Hits series. And Pastor Trevor got us kicked off last week. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You can go to thecreekchurch.com or you can download the Creek Church app, go back and watch that message, kept, catch up on that one. Last week, uh, our Greatest Hits song was from Tom Petty. And this week, now, come on. I mean, you didn't think you were gonna get through a Greatest Hits series without some Michael Jackson, did you? Like, if you thought that, you're backing up, right? Because King of Pop, like, this is, this is, this is the man. Uh, and so we got Michael Jackson in there, and I'm not so sure that you might not hear another Michael Jackson song before um, the end of this series. But um, MJ got us kicked off today. And um, last week, Pastor Trevor spent a little bit of time at the beginning of the message talking about uh, some things that make a hit song and, and that sort of thing. And I actually read a book a couple years ago called Hit Makers. And the idea of this book was really to just try to figure out what makes things popular, uh, what makes something viral, what makes something a hit, what makes something uh, be successful like that. And so it wasn't just relegated to music. It, it, talk, it, it dealt with uh, popular movies or um, art that, that's very popular, uh, music as well. Uh, and it just tried to, tried to find what's the common denominator. Is there any level of like uh, scientific data we can extrapolate from all of this and, and realize, hey, there's some things that make up uh, a great hit. And uh, one of the things that, that came out of that study and one of the, the, the points that came out of that book was that one thing that makes a hit is if something is fresh, but also familiar. And the idea was that people are looking for something new. People are looking for either a new story or a new idea to be presented or a new sound. Um, but they don't want the whole thing to just be new, right? They also need some familiarity there. So if we're gonna present them with a new idea, then we might wanna do it with a familiar voice or a familiar sound or vice versa. And so fresh and familiar was part of uh, the recipe uh, that would sometimes lead to actually uh, making a hit. And so I feel like Man in the Mirror definitely checks that box for us because you've got a guy, Michael Jackson, uh, who is definitely a familiar voice and a familiar sound. And when he wrote Man in the Mirror, uh, that was the fourth single that he released off of his seventh solo album. So his voice was familiar to the world. Uh, his sound was familiar to the world. But then he came out with this, this sort of personal personal message. Now it wasn't, you know, he didn't originate the idea or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's an idea as old as time and we all understand, but it's just not an idea that you hear presented a lot, uh, in, in music, this idea that change starts with the person in the mirror. That change starts with you. It kind of like, you know, MJ, he kind of jumped into our living room and was kind of like, hey, you want something to change? You need to get busy. You need to do something. And we were okay with that because he was familiar to us. His voice was familiar. His sound was familiar. And see, so he sort of followed that hit maker's uh, logic there. And, and we got the hit song, Man in the Mirror. And um, the reality is we all can identify with that song. Everybody in the world can identify with that song. And here's why. Because we all realize, we all know that the world is not perfect. We all know that. And so that means that there's things that we wish would change. There's things in the world that we wish would change. There's things that are in our lives that we wish uh, could change and be different and be better. We're looking for things to grow and for change, uh, things to get better. 
Now, some of these issues are, are big global issues. There's issues that, that we wanna be able to tackle on, on a global level and, and improve things for future generations and for the whole world. And they're massive, massive issues. And then there's some issues that are a little bit more local, you know, like things that you wish you could change in your community, things that would grow and get better uh, in more of your local community, maybe even in your family. But what, what, what Michael did, what MJ did, is, is he, he, he narrowed all of that down and said, it, it doesn't matter how broad you start, the reality is if you wanna to begin to make a change, it starts with you. And so he made it personal. He said, it starts with the person in the mirror. And we all know that. Like we all know that, that regardless of, of, of what change we wanna affect, it, it starts with us making a change because even if you wanna change something massive about the world, right? Like you kinda of gotta get your act together first. You kind of got to be able to like be a healthy person and, and, and get some knowledge and learn and grow and, and be responsible and be able to be articulate enough to have the conversations you need to have and get in with the crowds you need to get in with and, and all that sort of thing to really affect something on that level. So in reality, the, regardless of the scale of the change, it really starts with me and it starts with you on a personal level. Now, today we're going to talk mostly about those personal uh, changes that we wanna make in our lives. Uh, things that, that directly affect us and, and the quality of our lives. Things like uh, you may be wanting to uh, improve your physical health. Uh, maybe doctor gave you some bad news or something like that. And he's like, you need to change your diet. You need to do this, you need to do that um, to, to make these numbers better, to get yourself a little more healthier. Maybe uh, you know you just kind of let things go a little bit and you need to get back to working out or, or whatever it is. Or you know, it could be relationships in your life that you just wish they were better. You wish that they could improve. It could be uh, a separated relationship with a family member. It could be your marriage just isn't what you want it to be. Like it's okay, but it's like, man, like why aren't, you know, it could be better. Like we wanna grow, uh, we wanna make this better. And uh, maybe it's your finances. Maybe, um, you know, you're just not where you wanna be financially. Maybe um, you're in debt and you feel like you're drowning in that. You feel like there's no way out. Uh, and, and whatever it is, there, there's all kinds of issues all kinds of issues that, that we deal with that, man, we wish we could just grow in that area. We wish we could get better um, in those areas. And when I hear this song, Man in the Mirror, the, the scripture that I immediately think of uh, is James 1. It's James 1, 22 through 25. And you'll find out here in just a minute why that is. And some of you probably already know um, because there's an illustration in there that, that James uses. But James begins this text by saying this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't, don't just listen and deceive yourself, but actually do what it says. Actually do what it is that you know you're supposed to do. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that this is where we struggle. Yeah, we, you struggle with it. I struggle with it. You can pretend like you don't but you do. There's some area in your life that, that you need to make progress in, that you need to grow in, that you need to get better, that, that you just don't do what you need to do to make progress in that area. The doing is the hard part. One person said this, they said that we are educated beyond our obedience. I wanna say it again. We are educated beyond our obedience. 
In other words, our level of knowledge, our level of understanding, our level of knowing what we should do has exceeded our willingness to obey and actually do what we know we should do. We are educated beyond our obedience. There's no amount of, 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 of knowledge or knowing or understanding, but that's what we try to do, right? We try to just like take it all in. We do things like we go to church and we listen to sermons and sometimes we might even play sermons in our vehicle when we're going somewhere. We, 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 we go to Bible studies and uh, we do devotions, you know, we do them every day. We do them religiously uh, and we, we do all these things to just get knowledge, get information. And, and I'm not telling you that that's a bad thing, but here's the, here's the reality. Sometimes we take information, we take information, we take information and still there's no growth and there's no change. That can be a reality for some of us in our lives, in certain areas of our life. That we could have all the knowledge, we could be the most educated person about it, literally on the planet, but not do anything with that. We're never gonna see progress, we're never gonna see growth. We struggle with this part. It's like, we're like Paul. Paul wrote in Romans seven, he said, I don't do what I wanna do, but I do what I don't wanna do. Whew, how frustrating is that? I don't do what I wanna do. I know what I need to do, but I just, I just don't do it. And today I think James has an illustration that maybe, maybe could help you and could help me today in this area. James goes on, he says, anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So James says, it's like, it's like somebody who, who goes and looks in the mirror and they see a problem and then they just walk away and do nothing about it. And when we hear that illustration, like on that level, it's very easy for us to identify that that's not intelligent, right? That's dumb. But we have a much harder time noticing and identifying that in our lives. Because the mirror illustration, it's a good picture and it's talking about checking our physical appearance, but what we're talking about is our life and making progress in some complicated areas and seeing growth in those places. A couple weeks ago, my wife, Jesse and I were having a conversation and we're talking and you know, partly through the conversation, I noticed that her eyes, they're not looking at my eyes anymore. They're like, they're like down a little bit more. And uh, I realized while I'm saying whatever I was saying, like she's checked out, she's not listening to what I'm saying. I was like, what? And she was like, you have a huge hair growing out of the top of your nose. And I was like, what? Like not out of your nose holes, out of like here, right? How does that even happen, okay? Now, she says I have this huge hair growing out of my nose. I, there's this thing that I have 
I've, I don't know. I, I came up with this. I don't know if this is, this is real for everybody, but uh, that there's this, this mom hyperbole that kicks into gear. Whenever you have children, you become a mom. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like, it's like as soon as we had a couple of kids, my wife started doing this mom hyperbole thing, you know, where it's like, they spilled stuff all over the floor. And you go in there and you're like, should I get my waiters, you know? And you walk in, there's like three spots on the floor. You like, can't hardly even find it, you know? It's like, she got paint all over her clothes. And you go in there and you're like, I, don't, I can't even find the spot, you know? Maybe it's just me, I don't know. Um, so, so I'm thinking to myself, well, she's doing that. You have this massive hair growing out the, the top of your nose. Well, it's not a massive hair, it's a little hair. So I go in the bathroom, turn on the light, look in the mirror. I don't even see anything. So I get a little closer. Oh, a little closer, right up in there. Like I'm like right here. Oh my goodness. There's like a three quarter inch hair, single hair sticking out of my nose, straight out like I'm a unicorn or something. And I'm just thinking like, how in the name of everything holy does this even happen? And how did I not notice this? Like every time I looked in the mirror, I must've just stood straight, perfectly perpendicular and not even turned my head a sixth of an inch this way to be able to see the hair. So, so I, I plucked the hair out or whatever, you know, because that's what you do, right? It's like, oh, I see this. It's ridiculous and atrocious. Uh, and so I'm gonna get rid of it. But James says, when you hear the word and you know what you're supposed to do, you have the knowledge of what you need to do. You, you, you see it clearly and then you walk away and don't do it. That would be like if I just left that thing there. And that's just dumb. We would never do that. Luckily, he has a remedy. So he goes on and he says, but whoever looks intently Whoever looks intently, like, like not the way I was looking apparently, you know, all the other days when it was just like brushing your teeth, you know, fixing your hair, doing that. Yeah, everything was good. No, 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 no. That wasn't good enough. It wasn't until I went in there with intent to be like, okay, what's wrong with my face? And I got closer and I began narrowing in and I looked with intent that I looked with purpose. The idea here that James uses is, it's like taking a hard look. And so he's saying, whoever actually really takes a hard look, it's not a glance, it's not a, a skim, it's not a, um, well, you know, I'm just gonna check the devotion off the list. Um, you know, I heard the sermon, so that's cool, got that done. Uh, Bible study, yes. Um, can parse the Greek and Hebrew, uh, know these Hebrew terms and blah, blah, blah. Okay, great, great. That's not, that's not it, James says. He says, whosoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, what, what is that? What is the perfect law that gives freedom? Well, the perfect law that gives freedom that he's talking about, he's talking about the perfected law, the law that has been made complete, the finished law, which is what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill and finish and perfect 
the law. And so there were all these, uh, the, the law that were given to the followers of Jesus in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, uh, they had their law, they had the commandments, we know all about those. Uh, and then Jesus came along, like I said, and said, listen, I'm not here to abolish that, but I'm here to make that perfect. And here's what you need to know about the law. You can do it all if you do these two things, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in those two things. That is the perfect finished law that brings freedom. And so James says, we are supposed to look into the word, the word of God and into the perfect law. In other words, we're supposed to, we're supposed to look at the words that were written for us, but we're also supposed to look at the life of the word of God, which was Jesus. That in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. That Jesus is the word of God manifest in flesh and Jesus perfected the law. And so what we're to do is we're supposed to look at that. We're supposed to study that example. We're supposed to look into Jesus's life and, and those words that were recorded for us and we're supposed to use it like a mirror that would reflect back at us and we can see where it is that we don't measure up and, and we can look into certain circumstances that are, that are difficult to navigate and we can know how to proceed because we can see how Jesus dealt with people. We can see how Jesus treated people. So James is like, you gotta look with intention. You gotta take a hard Look, this is, not a, this is not a passing by the mirror. This is a hard, intentional look at the finished law, the perfect law. Oh, and by the way, that brings freedom. This law actually brings you freedom. See, we think the other thing, we think that this law, you know, we wanna grow and we wanna make progress, but law, rule, ugh, that sounds like it's gonna squash us and, and tear us down and choke out progress in our life. But James says the interesting thing here is that if you would embrace this law, it is actually gonna be the thing that sets you free to bloom and to blossom and to grow and to flower and to thrive because that is what Jesus died to give us eternal life. Yes, but a great thriving life. He said, I came that you may have life and you may have it to the full. And so James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues, this is a continual, this is a lifestyle, this is a habit, continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but, oh, there it is again, doing it, they will be blessed in what they, what's that word? One more time. They will be blessed in what they do. It's almost like James is saying, if you would just do, then your doing would be blessed. If you would just do something, then there would be something to bless. Sometimes we, we just don't do for whatever reason and, and we're kind of sitting around and we're kind of waiting for things to get better. And we know, we know in our life that waiting around being lazy, it never produces growth in any aspect of our life. A couple nights ago, I walked to the front door of the house and um, the girl's, 
were in bed and Jesse was in the bedroom getting ready for bed and uh, the sun was setting and, and I was checking out the clouds. We'd had a few storms and different things. So I walked to the front door and we have a window at the top of our front door and we have a wreath in the window. And so as I'm walking up to the wreath, uh, I'm on the, out, the inside of the door, the wreath's on the outside. I notice the beginnings of a spider web because the sun's coming in and I can see the, you know, uh, it's kind of backlit and I can see the web. And uh, I was like, oh, that's cool. So I get like right up to it. And then I notice the spider that's working on the web. And I'm just like, I mean, I get like right there, you know, like right there where my hair could have touched it, you know, um, I'm that close. <laughs> and the spider doesn't know I'm there because there's a pane of glass. Uh, this was after I plucked the hair, so <laughs> it wasn't there. All right. Uh, so I'm watching the spider and I'm literally fascinated. Okay. I, I'm paying attention to how he's constructed this web. And you know, the first thing he did is he made all of his little points. He found these anchor points and then he brought them to the center. They all joined in the center. And so then he started, went to the outside and he started going in this circle, spinning his web. And he would grab each one of those lines that he had already ran. You know, and he's just working. I mean, he's got all these legs. They're all doing something. And I'm like, what in the, this is amazing. And I stood there for probably about 15 minutes watching a spider. <laughs> I was like, this is unreal, man. Like that this thing is like, it was, it was working so hard. And, and, and I don't always do this, what, I, what I'm about to tell you I did, but um, for some reason in the moment, let's call it the Holy Spirit. Um, I was like, I was like, God, what do you want me to learn from this spider right now? Cause this dude is getting some work done. So I just, I did something else I don't normally do. I just shut up and got quiet, even in my mind. It's like, all right, I'm not gonna think anything else. I'm gonna watch the spider. I'm just gonna listen. I'm just gonna see what, if there's any insight here. And uh, I'm watching the spider and it came to me that he's doing all this really just so that he can eat. Like if he doesn't do this, he doesn't eat. He's spinning the web He's, he, he's doing it meticulously. He, he's going through all this work. And like, I don't, I don't know how much energy a spider expends whenever they're doing a web, but that's a little creature. It's gotta be a lot. It's gotta be super tiring. Anyway, he's doing all this so that a bug will crawl in and get stuck or fly in and get stuck, you know? And then he can go and he can eat. And it was like, the Lord was like, if he doesn't do this, he doesn't eat. And what, what area of your life, Austin, are you just being lazy? What is it that you're wanting? Because this guy wants to eat. What is it that you're wanting in your life and you're just sitting around doing nothing, making nothing happen? Because the spider, he, he, he got to work and he did what he had to do. He built the web so that a little blessing could come along and fly into it and get stuck. And then he could get what he needed so that he could continue to grow and be nourished. See, we want change and we want growth, but sometimes I think we have to ask ourselves how bad we really want it. Because we may, we may really want a promotion or a new job, but it's like, yeah, but what are you doing about that? We may not like the condition of our marriage, but we just survive and advance. We, we never actually get anywhere or get better or do anything 
about it. We may not like our financial situation. We may not like, uh, you know, um, whatever it is that we struggle with, that we don't have any margin in our schedule or that we don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I'm just a person who, you know, I don't connect with people. I'm sort of an introvert and I don't have any friends. It's like, okay, but what are we doing? You know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm the kind of person that uh, I've realized I'm, I'm not a happy person. Why am I not a happy person? Why am I always pessimistic all the time? What's my first instinct to be pessimistic? Why is it that when I'm hanging around with people at any given time, if you took a picture of my face, it would look like this. Why am I like that? I wish I wasn't so, so down and pessimistic and, and, and frustrated all the time. It's like, okay, well, well, what are we doing about this? The reality is sometimes we know what to do. Sometimes we don't know what to do. But the point Paul's making is that even when you know what to do, his point is this, is that doing, not knowing leads to growing. Doing, not knowing leads to growing. That's his whole point. And I wanna, I wanna give you that same idea in several different ways because we're all different. We all learn different ways. We all have different past experiences. So I wanna say the same thing to you in like three different ways than that. And whichever one you connect with, you just grab onto it, okay? Knowledge is great. It's also useless without action. Knowledge is great, but it's also useless without action. Information without application will never lead to transformation. Information without application will never lead to transformation. There's one more for you. It comes from a conversation that some of our staff were having. We were on a ski retreat a few years ago and we were downstairs. We were eating some snacks after we had skied during the day and we're just shooting the bull, having conversations. And gosh, if you could be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations, you'd be like, who is leading our church? Okay. Um, <laughs> but we were, we were into some, some theological things and Pastor Trevor made this statement. It was one of those statements where like, after he said it, we were all like, even him, you know, we were all like, oh, that was, that was good. We need to write that down. Um, and I thought about making it my bottom line today and then just changing a few words and then taking credit for it. But I figured that was dishonest, so. Uh, but here's what he said. He said, both a move of the head and a move of the heart are useless without a move of the hands. Both a move of the head and a move of the heart are useless without a move of the hands. See, you can have all the understanding in the world. You can know what you need to do. You can even feel passionately about it. You can be motivated to do something about it. You can be angry enough to do something. You can be sad enough to do something. You can have a move of the head and a move of the heart, but until it leads to a move of the hands, it's really useless. It's really useless until we decide to do something rather than just sit around and talk about how bad it is and how we wish everything would change and, and how they should do this and they should do that and it's their fault and it's his and her and her, 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 her. It's time for us as an individual who looks in the mirror 
to do something. Now, there's probably some of you here and some of you watching online, some of you at a campus that are thinking, you know, but Austin, I thought that it kind of sounds like you're saying, you know, that we should do things in our own power and, and not necessarily, I thought we we're supposed to rely on God for these things. And I, I really, didn't Jesus even say something about that? And, and I will concede that to you. I, I will give you that, that Jesus said, this is the one that, that, that's usually gone to. Jesus said to the disciples, don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about that. Consider the birds. They don't store things up, but God provides for them. And I will, I will concede that he says, don't worry about that. What I will not concede is that he ever said, don't work. He said, don't worry, but he never said, don't work. So yeah, he said, I'll take care of the birds, but I've never seen him throwing worms and berries into a bird's nest, have you? Never seen that. You know what happens when a bird gets hungry? You know what happens when mama bird has hatched her little baby birds? They start whining and crying and chirping because they're hungry. And if mama bird doesn't get out of the nest and go find some worms, they're not gonna grow. And it's the same way in our life. So this is not a lack of faith. This is not a, a trying to do things in our own power, separated from God. This is full reliance upon God. And guess what? I'll even give you this. God can do whatever he wants. If he wants to miraculously give you whatever it is that you need without you lifting a finger, he can do that. Sometimes he might. He has. But that's not the normal situation. So we need to move forward and do something. If he blesses us beyond measure in the midst of that, great. He can bless what we do. So we can know and we can know and we can know, but we keep bumping up against the same thing, the thing that Paul bumped up against. Why don't I actually do what I know I'm supposed to do? Why am I not doing? Seems to be the question Paul asked in Romans 7 when he was like, why, why can't I do what I know I wanna do? Why do I do the things I don't wanna do? And if we're honest, there's some area of your life, there's definitely areas of my life where I'm like, why don't I do what I know I'm supposed to do? I know what I'm supposed to eat to stay healthy, to stay at the weight that I need to stay at. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know, I know what, how I need to work out, but I don't always do it. And then in our spiritual lives, as James talking about here, it's like, why don't we do what we know is right to do? Well, there's a few reasons that I wanna share with you today that I believe sometimes we don't do. Sometimes we just don't do. And the first reason I would say could be this. The first reason that we don't do is because maybe we're not even looking in the mirror. Maybe we don't even know what to do. Maybe we've never taken the time to, as James said, intently look. And so maybe you don't know what to do. And listen, this is way more important than, than making sure that my physical appearance is okay. We're talking about your life. The one life you get to live here on this earth. 
We're talking about your spiritual well-being. We're talking about the people you love and their well-being. We're talking about how you set them up for the future and your legacy. We're talking about their health, the ones that are coming after you. So maybe for you, you're doing the thing you need to do is just begin to look. Begin to look in the mirror, which in this context means begin to read. Start reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, I'm sorry. Start reading the gospels, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start taking a look at, at how Jesus lived his life. Start taking a look at that perfect law and how a perfect man lived that out. And the things that he taught and the words that were written, that's what James is talking about. And if you never look, you're not gonna know. But now there's some of us, we look, but we don't see ourselves in there. We don't see ourselves in there. And, and there's a couple of reasons that could be. Number one, my favorite, is because when I look, I'm the kind of person that goes, oh, I wish my wife could read that. She really needs that. Oh, so-and-so, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Well, gossiping, yep. If she'd cut that out, her life would be better. <laughs> oh, there it is. Don't worry, that's all he does is worry. Makes everybody around him miserable. And when we're looking, we're looking to judge everybody else. And we're too scared, if we're honest, to look at it and let it reflect back on us. And sometimes the reason is because we're not seeing us because maybe we got the wrong angle. So I'm seeing, I'm not seeing me, I'm seeing you guys now. I don't have the right angle. See, I can't see my, my uni hair growing out of my nose. I don't have the right angle. And also I'm not close enough because if I get the right angle and I get close enough, I can't see anything else. If I look intently, if I'm looking for me, I'll find it, I'll find it. And sometimes the honest, just hard truth is there are things that are just very difficult for us to see about ourselves. There are things about ourselves that, that we just can't hardly see on our own. And that's why God created us to not be alone, to have family and to have friends and to have community and to have people who are close to us, people who know us better than we know ourselves. Because sometimes we just can't see it. And so we never do anything about it because we don't realize it's talking about us. I called a great friend of mine about five years ago and I was at my wits end about something, about a relationship, about some things that had happened. And I was so angry, I was so frustrated. As a matter of fact, I spoke to this friend last week and while we were talking about our relationship, cause we, we live in different places and we don't see each other that much. He was like, you remember that time you called me and you were all up in arms. He was like, man, you were like about ready to jump off the cliff, man. You were in a bad place. 
Well, this is the conversation he was talking about. I was, and I was giving him, you know, my perspective on the situation and what they had done and that person had done. And, and you know, it was the circumstances and this and, and I was taking no responsibility. And so I gave him my big spiel, my big pity party, my big anger fit on the phone and he listened. And then he said, um, Austin, you remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? And it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, well, yeah, I remember. What's that got to do with anything? And he said, do you think pride has anything to do with this? I think that's my actual reaction. And I didn't know what to think. And I, I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And I thought about it. And then the next thing I finally said was the only thing I knew to say, which was the truest thing I knew to say, which was, well, Jim, the only way I know to answer that is if I took my pride and I took his pride and I put them on a scale, mine would topple the scale. So yeah, there's a pride problem here. But I couldn't see it. I couldn't see that on my own. It took somebody who loved me, who was close enough to me, who understood me enough that God had placed in my life to point that out to me. And thank God he loved me enough to do that because a lot of people are too scared to do that. And sometimes we gotta go to the people in our life that are closest to us and we have to actually ask them. We have to say, listen, I need some feedback from you. I, I need to know where I need to be better. And sometimes, oh, this is the worst. This is the worst. Sometimes God will even use your spouse. Is that not the worst news ever? God, please, anybody but her. But the reality is she knows me better than anybody outside of God. And there's been so many times in my life where my wife, Jessie, has looked at me and said something to me that, that I needed said to me. And my first instinct was for pride to climb back up and to not hear it and to not listen or to think of something, you know, that she needs to work on too, that's worse than what I need to work on. You know, well, yeah, but you, you know, throw a punch back or whatever, metaphorically speaking. But God uses those people in our life. So sometimes we're just not looking intently. We're not at the right angle. We're not close enough. We're applying everything to everybody else and we're worried about their business instead of worried about ours. And sometimes we just can't see stuff in ourselves, And so we need to go talk to people. We need to have friends like that in our lives. And sometimes the reason we don't do is because we see and we know we see, we look in the mirror, we look in the word, we, we see what we're supposed to do and we know, we receive it. We have the move of the head, we have the move of the heart. But then life, 
we, we step out of that situation and, and then there's, there's the stresses and there's the worries and there's the schedule and the busyness and there's, you know, the, the, the money we got to pile up and make and, you know, there's pleasures, you know, there's plenty of things we can do to, you know, like forget about that thing that's really pressing in my life that's probably going to undermine my entire life and, you know, all my relationships and all that kind of thing. You know, it's like this big red flag over here, but, you know, like I can binge watch something on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Or maybe it's not that, maybe it's just life. Maybe it's just worries come along and we get distracted. And we, but we let whatever those things are, we let them choke out the growth and the progress that God's trying to make in our life. And we've got to find a way to become aware of that and head it off and stop it. Because this is too important. This is your life. You get one here and God wants you to live a great one. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He doesn't want you to be frustrated all the time. He doesn't want you to constantly just wish and dream and hope. He wants you to get to work doing so that things can get better and things can grow and you can be a great person to be around and you can be encouraging and you can be happy and you can have a thriving marriage and you can have kids that, that love you and know that you're gonna be there and that, yeah, you're gonna make mistakes, but, but you're, gonna, you're gonna do the right by them and you're gonna, you're gonna be a great parent and you got friends who know they can count on you, who know that if you, if they needed you to say that thing to them that they needed to hear, that you would be brave enough to say it because you love them that much. This is your life we're talking about. We know, and then we don't do. But doing, not knowing, leads to growing. And so today, I'm gonna give you one assignment. It's homework. That's the worst. Don't call it homework, call it anything else. Okay, it's, 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 it's one task to do. All right. I want you to identify one area in your life in which you need to grow. If you're like me, there's way more than one, but I want you to, I want you to identify one. I want you to ask God to give you the one area, the most important one, the one that you got to get right because it's going to undermine other things in your life. It's going to undermine your relationships. It's going to undermine your opportunity for success to move forward and to grow, whatever it is. I want you to identify one thing. And then in that area, if it's possible for you, not everything, you can do this, but if it's possible, I want you to set a realistic goal. Don't be like me. You know, I would be like, yeah, I'm, you know, never worked out before, but I'm gonna do what the Navy SEALs do, you know. Don't do that. Don't be like, I'm gonna lose this many, you know, 100 pounds in four weeks and I'm gonna change my entire diet and I'm gonna get my schedule all right and I'm gonna buy this thing, you know, get stuff done and get organized and, you know, 9.99 and then, you know, get all that stuff. Just don't, just relax. Just relax. Let's just do one thing, okay? Let's pick a realistic goal. And then I want you to take the first step this week the first step only, that's all. Just do that and let's see what happens. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where you wish you could grow, but I know that doing, not knowing, leads to growing. Maybe it's finances, maybe you're in debt, 
You're like, I don't even know how, I don't even know what to do. Maybe your goal uh, is uh, to be debt free. And your one step this week is you're gonna make a budget. You're gonna do the work. You're gonna take last month, every, everything you spent, you're gonna look at the bank statement. I know, sounds horrible. It'll take you maybe an hour. You can do it, I promise. Look at everything you spent. You're gonna do that and then you're gonna go, oh my goodness. I cannot believe we spent X amount on this. And then you're gonna budget for your next month. We know this much is coming in. So here's how we're gonna spend that money. We're gonna tell this money what to do rather than just seeing what happens. Let's just budget it this way. Let's just do that one step. Maybe it's your marriage. You need it to grow, you need it to be better. There's not necessarily a goal that you can put out there for it, but maybe for you this week, the step is you just need to talk to your spouse. You need to tell them how you're feeling. You need to tell them what you're thinking. Guys, you can do it. Tell them how I'm feeling. I promise you can do it. And it's worth it. You're worth it. She's worth it. Your kids are worth it. Don't let your kids grow up with two roommates as parents. Show them what a marriage can be. Maybe you need to call. Maybe that's the, the step. You need to actually call the counselor, a marriage counselor. Get online. Go to psychologytoday.com. You can search for one. You can pick Christian. You can pick them by their age. You can pick them by how many years of experience they have, their specialty, male, female. You can vet them. Do it. Do something. I don't know what it is, but this week, pick that one thing. Set a realistic goal if you can and take the first step. That's it. Take the first step and let's see what God can do through that step of obedience.